The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes after eight. Thank you so much for staying with us here on AM Live. If you've just tuned in, welcome to the show. It's time for the Forum at Eight. And this morning, we host uh, Kaya Dlanga. He's a blogger. He's a social media guru, author of, to quote myself, a memoir, which I've been uh, reading, occupying myself with. And, uh, of course, we're going to find out from him exactly, you know, where he came from. Because it was like one day there was this guy, Kaya Dlanga. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Kaya, welcome first and foremost oh, to um, the Forum A Day. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. You know, the other day um, when we were telling everybody around the newsroom, we have Kaya Dlanga because people want to know who's coming in, you know, this week. And um, one of the reporters asked, who is Kaya Dlanga? Why is he famous? So who is Kaya Dlanga? Um is uh, um, this is a very difficult question? Actually, I I never know how to answer that. Um, I'm just a guy, you know, who I don't know does what. I'm the guy that everyone asks who's Kai Langer. <laughs> I'm that guy <laughs> because nobody knows what I do, so it's difficult. I, I, that's why I cannot actually answer the question I'm asked. Who is Kai Langer? Because. I think there is no one answer. I think there are many different things, you know, that are about me that make who I am. So to kind of confine it to like a thing is really difficult. Mm. And uh, this morning we are doing the show uh, with a little bit of an addition. So you can actually go uh, and stream the forum at 8 at sabc.co.za uh, forward hashtag news. And on uh, YouTube SABC News account, you will actually be able to see what Kaya is getting up to. In studio, so we are actually streaming this particular conversation this morning, and you know, pioneering new things, uh, innovation, yes. and and I think it's very fitting that we start this off with you in the hot seat. Oh wow, is this the first time? It's the first time oh, that wow. we are doing this. Wow, I feel so good. <laughs> wow, uh, there's but something I thought, else. You know, I didn't put on my makeup and everything. I didn't shave because I, I know, I was like. I'm on radio. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter because this is radio and, and, and yeah. we come with our radio faces, yes. not our television no, I, faces. I, also, I came with my, like, in, you know, my in the middle of the night face. <laughs> mm. But Kyle, uh, let's just go back somewhat. You know, um, you know people know you from uh, Twitter. How many followers do, uh, followers do you have at this point? Um, 200,000. Well, just over 200,000. Wow. And and then that is a lot. And, um, you know, but I wonder how many people actually know who Kaya really is, where he comes from. He comes from um, uh, Duchini in the Eastern Cape. But talk us through your early years, you know, how it all started, where it started for Kaya Dlang. Well, yeah, I mean, it started in this um, village called Duchini in the Transkai, just outside uh a, a town, small town called Mount Elif. So that's where it really started. And, um, and, and as I describe it in the book, it's like it's this village. It's almost like in a valley, and the entire village is, is almost surrounded by these uh, mountain ranges. You know, some of them are quite distant. And when I was young, I was convinced, like, this is the whole world. You know, this is where the world is. And um, so I couldn't imagine that there was – I used to imagine what could be beyond those mountains. It didn't make any sense that there'd be something beyond them. And uh, in the village, you know, I don't know if you remember, there was a thing called Deba. Uh, but anyway, I forgot what it was actually called. But what they did, it was this uh, company that used to recruit men in the villages and take them 
to work to the in mines. the mines. Yes. yes. So in the village, there were no young men. So you just had like old old men, young, uh, I mean, women and children, and that was it. And the men would come back uh, twice a year. So in December, um, at, to plow and you know and all of that, and then in uh, around Easter to kind of. But the, the, that was the only time they ever came back. You never saw them. And uh, you'd constantly have this. Um, and one of the things that I remember that always happened to me. So if, I, if someone saw me picking up like a, a heavy object, something heavy, they'd be like, oh, you're a strong man now. You are ready to go and work in the mines, you know. So that was the kind of environment that I grew up in where your deepest aspiration was supposed to be to go and work in the mines. And I thought that someday, you know, I would be working in the mines and digging for gold. Mm. But who was your greatest influence at that time as a young boy? Oh, definitely my grandfather uh, and my grandmother. So those two were great influences because I grew up with them and my mother had to go and work in East London, you know. Um, and so they were really um, the two people who really shaped, I think, my f- formative years. And I'd probably say my grandfather mostly. Mm, and, and what did he teach you? Wow, my grandfather was. You know, if you know those movies where you have like a a, a, a a drill surgeon and he is shouting and screaming instructions the whole time. That was my grandfather. So we, be, <laughs> my grandfather was quite hectic in the sense that like he when he called you, right, you you couldn't say that I'm cool. If he says he'd shout Kaeleto. I said, cool. So you have to scream, you know, scream. And you have to run when he calls you. You can't walk to him. So you have to run to him. And, when, and you always have to carry your stick with you because a boy cannot not have a stick with him. And there's a certain way you're supposed to carry your stick. And you stand in front of him while he's issuing instructions. And after he's issued these instructions, you have to get up and run. You can't just, you can't just sit down. So that was my grandfather. Um... But the funny thing though about him, even though he was this strict, was that he was also quite generous. Um, so he struggled, you know, this, this moment. Like, let me give you an example, actually, where there was a time I actually mentioned in the book where uh, he'd come back from a long day and my grandmother told me to go and give him his food. Uh, they laid his clothes and they gave him his food. And then he calls me like, he says, Kailetu, Tadam Kool! And then I ran to his room. <laughs> he says, Ipling Yama Gwedin. You know, where's the, where's this meat, right? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and then he starts like he doesn't he doesn't hit me because he's so big, and uh, he starts like he's almost like shoving me from side to side, and I'm so intimidated by his size because he never raises his hand, you know. And I thought, oh my, God, I'm gonna die here. He's he's just gonna <laughs> kill me. So I start cr- crying, and not from pain, but from the fear. And then my grandmother hears this. And she says, uh, what's going on? But my grandfather doesn't answer. That's all he's saying. And then my grandmother says, I haven't dished it up yet, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, you know, so now my grandfather feels, he's feeling so guilty and he apologizes. He gives me like, he gives me his food. He makes me eat his meat. <laughs> he pours me like, a, you know, some cool drink. He is so apologetic the whole time. But he was quite uh, gentle, even though I was also quite hard at the same time. You were innocent in that instance, but did you ever steal the meat? No, I didn't. Never? No, I never stole never meat. Never tempted? I was that terrified of my grandparents. <laughs> Do you know that to this day, to this day, I still don't curse. I still don't swear. 
because I am so worried that if I do swear or say anything, you know, my grandmother who has been, you know, dead for over 20 years will come up behind me and slap me in the head. And that's, that's, that's how I think uh, they molded me. They molded me so well that lessons from way back I still carry with me today. Mm. Let's go back to something you mentioned in the book where you say um, if you look at the natural beauty um, of Duccini and, and, and you compare it to Franchuk, but, but, but then you also compare the um, socioeconomic conditions of the two places. And I was wondering, when you were little, when you were growing up, did you appreciate did, did, did it occur to you that this was such a beautiful place that you were growing up in? You know, when you, I used to really love looking at the mountains. Um, and especially after it rained, because you see these waterfalls that would fall down the mountainside. And it was really beautiful to see. But I don't think that I, I looked at it uh, because I enjoyed it. I, and, and I think when you come from a certain kind of place uh, where it seems like you don't have much, what you desire is to see tall skyscrapers, to see buildings, to see highways. And uh, so did I really appreciate that and see that as beautiful? No, I did not see it as beautiful because what, when I look back, uh, it, it actually um, symbolized a bit of hardship you know, for, for the people who live there because it is not as romantic, I think, as people uh, like to look at village life because it's actually not romantic at all because you know people have to wake up in the morning they have to go and fetch water in, from the river they have to go to the uh, forest to, to collect you know a firewood so those is a very very hard life and you have to look after cows and it's raining and uh, you have to it, it there is it's very very tough life and um that's why i think when i look at it i don't think that oh wow it was so beautiful but those people who don't know it and have never experienced that kind of life, they will say it's beautiful, uh, but it's not a beautiful life. If you've just tuned in on the Forum at 8 this morning, we're hosting Kaya Dlanga, and he's, of course, a, a very famous uh, social media guru. He's also a blogger. He's an author uh, looking at his latest book now, To Quote Myself, a memoir by uh, Kaya Dlanga. And you can, of course, uh, watch uh, the live stream interview with Kaya Dlanga this morning on SAB News, uh, SABC News website, sabc.co.za forward slash news. And you can also watch it on our YouTube channel if you want to see uh, you know uh, what Kaya looks like this morning and of course the lines are open 0891 you can SMS us on the number 34701 tweet or Facebook AM live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo now clearly your grandparents you know were the primary uh, caregivers they were the primary influence on uh, you as Kaya Langa. but what about your parents siblings you know who are they talk to us about that um I had a sister. Well, I still have a sister. I'm saying I had a sister. <laughs> she is. Um, she was like a, about a year and a half younger than I than I am. And we also both grew up with my grandparents. And my mother at the time was working in this in, in, in Tanzania um, because my father had passed away when I was uh, five, five, and he'd passed away. And but my mother had actually gone to start working. In East, in, in East London, in Danzane, by herself, uh, because my father had actually gone to Joburg, and he'd come to Joburg, and he kind of disappeared, and forgot that he had a wife and two kids. And so my mother was like, you know what, I'll show him that I can do, I can do this on my own. 
and that's what she did. And um, my mother's influence is very different in the sense that she was like that, that she was almost that cheerleader who kind of tells you and makes you believe that you can do it even when you've tried your hardest not to do the thing that she believes you can do. So my mother was that kind of influence in my life to kind of get me to dream beyond what I was dreaming. Mm. And you say you were five years old when your father died. Mm. Now, what was it like at that point at uh, Tatumkulu's house, uh, you know, when the funeral was taking place? Because <laughs> one can only imagine, you know, the whole village was probably there. Mm. And then what's, what's going through your five-year-old mind? You know, because what was going through my mind was, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like, uh, everyone is coming to the house. It's so full. And, and everyone is fussing over me. They're like, um, so people are like, oh, oh, this must be Zandisile's son. You must be. And they're so proud. And they would offer me food and they'd be meat. So I was never hungry. I was always full the whole time. And because you're getting so much attention. So I didn't know what was going on. Because I didn't really have a relationship with my father because he disappeared. You know, he went to um, Joburg. And uh, so I didn't understand what was going on. Um, and and what I, I enjoyed the commotion. Uh, every single time some new family or arrived, they'd be like singing at the, you know, at the gates and they'd come in and, you know, scones galore everywhere. <laughs> and you go so, on to say that no South African funeral is complete without scones. No South African black funeral is complete without scones. And we had those by the truckload. <laughs> so you still look for those when you go to funerals? Uh, well, you know, I don't know if I should feel ashamed for saying I do, but I do. <laughs> And, and 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 also the pride of the mourners is something that you talk about. Yes, because they had. Um, it, it's weird because I think they they want to give you a sense of comfort, so they give you a lot of attention because I think they're feeling sorry for you because they, they they know that like you 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 don't have a father anymore. And they're looking at you that way, and there's pity, but at the same time they they are very proud of the fact that. When they see me, they recognize that I'm my father's son. You know, they're like, this is Andesilla's son. And they kind of fold their arms. Yeah, no. And um, and I think for me, those are very interesting moments. It was flitting, but it, it kind of stayed with me for a very long time. Mm. And your mother during this whole uh, oh, funeral? She was sitting like on the... Uh, my dress, as you know, <laughs> so, so I sit in my dress seat. There was like my aunt with her, and she was all like in black the whole time. She hardly said anything. But I'll never forget this um, at the funeral. And you know, the as the coffin is descending, uh, you know, it's being lowered. My mother starts get so she's wearing all black, and she starts to cry, and she kind of goes forward, and and I think my grand and my aunt were holding her. And in my mind, in my in my five-year-old mind, they are trying to push her into the hole. So I kind of start crying, and I grab, and I start grabbing her leg, and I start pulling it away from the grave because, because they've just lowered this coffin, it's empty, and she's just moving forward towards it. I think that, and then I just started crying, and I'm pulling, I'm pulling it, uh, thinking that you know that's what's going to happen. But uh, you know, I. It's so funny how, as a child, you see things differently because you don't mm. know what's going on. And for me, that's what, that's what I saw. I saw uh, someone trying to get rid of my mother. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and what is your relationship like with your mother? Would you say it's a close relationship? Um, you know, comparisons, of course, are odious. Mm-hmm. But, but, but how does it compare with the relationship between you and your grandmother? Oh, no. Well, I mean, it's uh, much closer, uh, my mother's relationship. Uh, but all the, you know, I think most relationships, they go through, like, different times. I mean, there was a time where I used to call my mother every single day when I was in Cape Town. So when I lived there, I'd speak to my mother on the phone every single day. Um, and and so so I'd say that, yes, I'm pretty close with my mother in that sense. But do I call her every day? Now, no, I don't call her, call her every day. And every now and then she'll send me, like, a... a an SMS and saying, you know, giving me some guilt trip because I haven't spoken to her or I haven't returned like a, you know, a WhatsApp that she's sent. Mm. So, yeah. So we have a pretty, a very healthy relationship. And your relationship with your sister? Um, my relationship with my sisters, because uh, I have two sisters and one brother. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's it's quite a, um, uh, it's, it's so funny because even with my sister, because every single day, I went to school with her every day, would go together, would come back to sc- from school, and we would come back from school, continue chatting, and my mother would always say, you guys saw each other the whole damn day, and myself would say that, and, <laughs> and, you still, <laughs> and you are still talking, and you are still having a fat chat, what is going on? And... But I think now she's in Cape Town. I mean, that's in East London, actually, now, and I'm here. So I have probably have a closer relationship with my mother than I do have with my sister. And then, then of course, uh, the lines are open, and, and we'll come to that in just a moment mm. because, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to get as much of the story out as yes. we possibly can before we go to listeners. The incident with Monwabisi. When you were a child, what happened? Did he beat you up or did he scratch you? And 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 you ran home. Oh yes, tail hey, between this your boy. legs. So the this boy, I, I had he. I think I, he pushed my sister. So I was with my sister, and I don't know, maybe I was six. I don't know how old I was, and he pushes my sister, and I'm like, what? do you think you're doing? So I go to him and I start fighting. And then he pushes me to the ground and he starts scratching my face, starts scratching my face. And now I am, I run home because I, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, yeah, my grandmother is going to sort this boy out. So I get there and I say to my grandmother, I'm crying and I've been scratched. My face has got like blood in it. And and I tell my grandmother, just bit, you know, bit me up. And at that point, I was so convinced my mother's going to grab, my grandmother's going to hit him so badly. And my grandmother was like, so what am I supposed to do? And why are you here crying? Go back and fight. I was like, what? Because my grandmother was like this Christian woman who is gentle, everyone loves, because she's that, you know, where everyone goes and everyone Mm. loves. But now she's telling me to go fight. I was flabbergasted. So... I go back to Monroe ABC and I am so angry. He's in front of other boys. And I, st- and I think because I've just been humiliated by my grandmother because I thought that she was going to look after me, but now I have to fight for myself. And I did go back to me and I, and, and I beat him pretty you badly. You did? I beat, him, yeah, I beat him up. Did you go back and tell her that you beat him up? Yes. And yes. what did she say? I, well, she was like, well, never come back to me and tell me that some boy beat you up, basically. So... Um, she, she basically taught, I think the one, the thing that I learned from that was, yes, you may be, it's almost like that Ernest, like Ernest uh, Hemingway quote where it says, a man may be uh, destroyed but never defeated. 
Mm. Right. So I think at that time when that boy bit and he's, you know, he literally did destroy my face because I was bleeding from it. Um, and then I went back and I was not defeated. And I think maybe th- there was a strong lesson in that, that you, 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 you cannot always run to someone else for, for help. So you've got to do certain things yourself, even if they're hard. Kayad Langa, our guest this morning. And then, um, you know, six years old, now you're going to school. Yes. Where? How? To Jenny, still. Um, I started, my mother wanted me to go to school really young. So I went to school very young. Um, I was like at least two to three years the youngest in any class until I was in uh, standard uh, uh, three. Um, where, you know, anyway, so uh, I was really young when I went to, to school. And I, I remember the first day in school, they, uh, the teachers that does a roll call, right? And then my name comes up, and they say, but Kayale to Langa, right? So I don't get up. And they say, Kayale to Langa, I still don't get up. Uh, and then obviously the teacher knows who I am and tells me to get up, so I stand up. Because in my mind, my surname was Boyce, because I grew up at my, in my uh, grandparents' home. Oh. Yeah, so, and the surname was, was Boyce. It was such a revered surname in the village. And when people called to me, mentioned me, they're like, Langwango Yaga boys. So in my head, I'm a boys. So being a Langa was a bit odd because, and I thought when my grandfather used to kind of play or with me, he'd be, ah, he's Langa cool, you know, the big Langa. And, and I thought it was his nickname for me. I didn't think it was my surname. So uh, it, was, it, it was quite a moment for me when I realized I was not who I thought I was. Mm. Uh, at the time. Did you go home and ask about it? No, I didn't ask. Children didn't ask questions. <laughs> then we didn't. <laughs> I just accepted. Okay, well, I'm younger then. I guess I'll take that. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, we're going to move on uh, to uh, when you uh, moved out of the village and, of course, your um, trip to Cape Town. Uh, wow, a really, really fascinating reading um, in your book here, to quote myself, a memoir by Kaya Langa. And he's our guest this morning. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you can call. We will take those calls, 0891-104-208. And, of course, we're also live streaming this interview. So if you go to the SABC website, www.sabc.co.za forward slash news, and you can also watch this on our YouTube channel. I've been told to hold this book up uh, to the cameras. You see, this is what happens when you're not used to, uh, you know, cameras when you are doing radio. But... Here it is for those who are watching to quote myself a memoir by Kaya Dlanga. Uh, that is the book. And uh, talking about Kaya's life story this morning, and um, uh, we, we are really trying to rush through it because there's so much to tell, and yet we want the listeners to also have an opportunity to interact with you. So um, now, you know, you're in primary school, and then, but you moved uh, schools at mm-hmm. the same time. So just talk to us about that schooling period. Um, you know, when I was in school, so I, I mean, the village that I grew up in, Dujini, uh, I was really young. Um, I mean, there was at a point where I was in Standard 1, right? It was Standard 1 with my cousin who was 21. He was 18. And I was young. I must have been like six or something like that. And he was really... So, because he was... His job was to look after cows. But anyway, so... Um, when my grandmother passed away, my mother decided that, you know what, since my grandmother's gone and my grandfather is just wanting me to look after his 
cattle. That's all he wants me to do. She decided that I have to go away. Um, and she took me to this boarding school, school called, called Little Flower Junior Secondary School. It was a really prestigious school in the Transkei um, at the time. So, and then, you know, Mandela was freed and, and, and schools were open to black people. Uh, white schools were open to black people. So I ended up going to this school in, in East London and uh, where if one were to look at the kind of place I came from and the school I went to were completely incongruent. So I, I, I almost had no right to go to the school that I went to. Um, like even in the neighborhood, you know, that we stayed in Mdanzane because the house uh, I lived in was, um, we actually shared it with, with another family. It's like the typical matchbox house. And so the one family had, you know, the other two rooms and we had the other two rooms. And, you know, for the, the, the kitchen served as, as, as a lounge for visitors and also for a place for me to sleep. And um, so, uh, like every morning, I remember I was, like, I was so aware of how different I think my life was. That, like every morning, my mother would, would, would wake up, light the paraffin stove, uh, put uh, hit some water, uh, maybe iron, you know, my shirt before I go to school. And I was so aware of the fact that, like, my clothes had been ironed using a, a paraffin stove mm-hmm. that maybe this uh, other kids will smell the paraffin off me and they will know that I'm not like them and they will know that I don't come from, you know, a well of family. They'll know that I have no electricity. So it was quite a weird kind of strange uh, period for me where when I was in school, I deliberately, or now I think it was deliberate, um, or subconscious, I don't know, I ch- elected not to have friends because... If I have friends, it means they'll have, they'll have to come visit me. They'll have to come to my home. But if they come to my home, they'll know that I'm not like them. They'll know that I don't come from a, a world of family. Mm. They'll see there's no electricity. And, uh, Do you and think I, you were ashamed? Yes, of course I was. I think I was. I, I was, I, I was, I don't, actually, I don't think I was necessarily ashamed. I think that I was worried of how I would be treated if they found out. So I felt that I would be treated differently because they found out that, you know, I'm not like them. Because I, I was not necessarily ashamed. Mm. Yeah. And then and, and let's just move quickly to Cape Town now because uh, now you're going, um, you know, to uh, further your education. And the story of how you got into the AAA School of <laughs> Advertising, really, really fascinating. But if you could just pray that for us. Okay. Um. Basically, uh, after I, you know, finished my matric, um, uh, I did not. Uh, to be honest, I did not study very hard. You know, I did not study very hard because, for me, I didn't understand the point of me studying and working really hard when I knew that my mother was not going to have the money to take me to college. So I was like, whatever. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put in as little effort as I possibly can. And then the following year, um, now my mother tells me, okay, yeah, it's time to go study. And in my head, I'm like, but you don't have money. Like, you, it's impossible for me to go anywhere. And then, um, so long story, I end up going to Cape Town and not having applied to, to study the AAA. And when I get to the, uh, to the front desk at reception, I speak to a lady there. Her name is Tandy. Sister Tandy says, oh, I'm trying to get into the AAA. And then she says, I'm done, you know, um, you know, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, you m- you're wasting your time because all these other kids, they came here with their white parents and they've been turned away because applications were closed last year and everyone has accepted last year. Interviews happened last year, so you can't get in. And then I had this 
um, strategy. Let me, I don't want to call it a lie. <laughs> this strategy when I was on my way to to uh, to Cape Town, and I said, and if they say that, I know what I'll say to her. So I said, well, I did apply last year, but I didn't get any response. And then so she was like, oh, now she was stumped. She don't she didn't want to say. So she called the registrar. I tell the registrar the same story, and she's like, oh, okay. Um, that's and then she starts going through these files, and she sees that my name isn't there. So she's kind of stumped as well. And then she gives me these application forms to fill in. And these forms were, you needed three weeks to fill them in. And she gave me three days to fill mine in. So it was like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Monday, I had to return it. And I was, looked, I was like, she has decided that I'm, I'm not coming in. She's made up her mind. How am I supposed to do this in three days? Mm. So that entire weekend, I must have slept for two, three hours because I was just working on this project, working on it, because it's lots of assignments and exercises that you have to kind of perform and essays. So I eventually, uh, I make the deadline 12 o'clock on Monday, and I slam it there proudly. There, <laughs> I'm done, you know. And then uh, Lynn then says to me, she says, um, okay, come back in five minutes. And then I'm so shocked. It's like, you can't tell me to come back in five minutes, because it's impossible for you to go through this document in five minutes. Mm. And then I go, I leave anyway, and I come back in five, and she tells her to come back in ten. And then after that, I come back in ten minutes. She says, okay, come back in twenty. And then when I come back after these twenty minutes, she's looking, she's paging. She says, I must say, I'm actually very impressed. I am very impressed. Um, We've decided to accept you, so how are you going to pay? And how were you going to pay? Because you only came with, you know, 500 500 rand rand to Cape Town. Yes. No, um... I paid the registration fee, which was 60 rand. <laughs> okay, so I paid that. And then she, and then I said, well, my mom has a property uh, in uh, in the Transcar that she's going to sell. Well, she did have a plot, but it was worth nothing because it's in a village. And then she, she also had some cows and sheep, which she actually did sell. But all of that kind of, um, uh, through the course of the year, that all ran, that ran out. Because mm. expensive. And, and, and Kaya's mom, of course, made many, many sacrifices to keep him at this uh, prestigious AAA School of Advertising in Cape Town. But the hardships he goes through, you have to read the book. Uh, to quote myself, a memoir of Kaya Dlanga, that's the book, and you can have a read about all of that. But let's go to the lines, 891 104 Zbu in good morning. Mwala Zbu. Good job, Craig. I know, Craig. Go, sharp. No, when I know, I know. I'm no, I'm joking. Yes, yes. No, man. No, this one. So better go look at far. We'll be up front. This opinion to come to. Us muluti dana is low. Be follow us around by train, and then in four hours, what to be follow us around by grand because of you. Okay, so 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 so, Zbu, you had twenty followers. On, 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 on IG. And then what happened is I bought, I bought his book. Mm-hmm. And then I took a selfie poster on Twitter. He uh, screenshot it and then I posted on, on IG. <laughs> and then uh, some of the ladies, they thought uh, <laughs> I'm really looking well and they started following me. So you had 300 <laughs> new followers because I'm, of I'm that. I'm close to 300. I'm close to 300 from 20. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Um, I remember. <laughs> So, um, uh, maybe um, I've got this gig of uh, being Mr. Delivery, because most of the ladies be like... Uh, they wanted, him to, they wanted him to deliver my book. 
tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, take a picture. <laughs> Most definitely done. Take a pick and yeah. then uh, 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 take it. But what, my, my point basically is that my question actually in the comment is that, uh, um, like you, you said before, that you never had any friends because you felt like uh, you, you you would be embarrassed on on uh, due to situation of how you grow up. But uh, following you on Twitter and, and 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 on IG, you know, you you post some of the motiva- motivational things like you know don't try to fit in, you know, be yourself, you know. Uh, try to stand up all of those things. Um, is it uh, because of uh, you, your your previous la- life, as a saying, you know, uh, due to like coming from the disadvantaged uh, uh, community? You know, the things that you're saying now, the things that you learned uh, previously that you don't want us uh, uh, to fall in uh, to what has happened to you, or it's just some of the things that you read and then you fell in love with, and then you, you think of sharing with the people. And then my, mm. my comment as well is that um, uh, you inspire us a lot because. In some cases, even when I, I read uh, uh, his uh, articles on on, on thing, uh, Melon Guardian, you know, um, thinking he's, he's a young black guy, I thought he, he's a to member. You know, but when 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 you read his, his his column, you know, he you don't know where he sits. I think it's it's, it's a very good thing that um, some of us we we try to show that uh, where we fall in. I mean, it's one of the things that we we will learn a lot from him. One day, okay. I hope uh, I'll meet him and then he'll sign my book. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. And, and and for those Thank who are wondering, IG is Instagram. So 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 that's what Asbu uh, was talking about there. Let's go to another caller, Shaka Sisulu. <laughs> Good morning. Hey Shaka. Hello. Where did Shaka go now? <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm on my hands free. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? How are you? I know I'm supposed to be having what? breakfast, but yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Hurry up and finish that interview so you can come have breakfast sometime. Uh, all right. Yeah, it, no, um, you know, it's so exciting to hear so many people, uh, uh, you know, speak so warmly and, and fondly of you because that's, uh, you know, I guess that's how I feel, that's how your friends feel. And, uh, yeah, you know, we're wishing you all of the best of luck. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Shaka. Okay. Shaka. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and tell everyone how you sold out a book in a month, Mshaka. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, that, that yeah, was uh, nice uh, to hear. But, Shaka, we want the juicy bits. Come on, tell us <laughs> some scandal. <laughs> share, well, share, Well, you share. know, this one time... <laughs> no, no, no. I can't do that to this guy, you know. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 you, you started well. There was Go ahead, Shaka, I'll, de- I'll deny. <laughs> but go ahead and I'll deny. <laughs> no, no, you know, the, 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 I think the only thing that that is um, that I have disapproved of in this man's life has been some of his political convictions much earlier on. Oh. <laughs> but he's come around now. What he is wrong with his political conviction? He used to do this YouTube... In fact, when I met him, I, that's the first thing I told him. I was like, Kaya, you're a smart guy, but your politics is all wrong. <laughs> he used to do these YouTube videos and support Pope. Oh. <laughs> what the hell is this? Oh, 
Oh, it's like my dirty laundry right there like that, eh? <laughs> and he actually used to do YouTube videos. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. You know, but his YouTube videos used to be like very popular. They used to be like, they used to go global. People used to watch them from all over the world. So if you were sitting in the stage, you'd think that Cope was going to win the election. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll, oh, we'll find out Shaka. what has changed since oh, then, Chaka, and, and, and uh, about his wow. uh, political <laughs> convictions more contemporarily. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chaka, thanks so much for calling in. I just want to read some of the messages. Uh, Jacques Cupido, thank you so much, saying it's excellent to watch AM Live uh, on live streaming. So uh, thank you. You know, at least we know someone went there and watched. We are, of course, you know, pioneering this. So if you want to go and watch, uh, go to our website, sabc.co.za and forward slash news. And you can also go onto the uh, YouTube site and you'll find this particular interview going out live on those sites. Uh, Just some of the uh, messages coming through. Tulani Dasa says, thank you for being such an inspiration, noble son. In my arrogant opinion, uh, you are amazing. God Mm -hmm. bless you. Uh, Chris Maxson says Kaya's story reminds me of my mother widowed at 28 who put me through school by doing moonlighting uh, hashtag women power and Pumzile um, Pompo says I'm inspired by Kaya Dlanga's story. We need more people like him in Mzansi. Extraordinary. And then um, some other uh, messages as well. Uh, Monde Mahamba in Flagstaff says thank you so much SK for bringing someone from uh, the rural areas of um, Matlasiben. Kaya is my homeboy. So you see, people are listening back home. And um, uh, Kanye Kambule in Middleburg says, Kaya, oh my goodness, you are the most funniest, smartest and inspiring person ever. You rock. And this one, okay, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I'm going to read it. It says, pity I can't listen because someone stole my car radio. So, but I love the guy, especially his teeth. He has the most gorgeous teeth I have ever laid eyes on. I'm going to leave it at that. So, the line's still open, 0891-104-208, if you want to speak to Kayad Langa. And we are live streaming for the first time. You can go to sabc.co.za forward slash news, and you can watch this radio broadcast there. So it's all about technology. And technology is something that you know very well, Kayad Langa. And as we were saying in uh, earlier intros, that you are a social media guru. And, 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 and you know, one of the most popular people on um, Twitter, for example, I follow you. And given that you have so many followers, you know, and, and, and the fact that some people um, instinctively believe Everything that comes from Kaya Dlanga, they are even persuaded by your views on certain things, certain events in the world. There must be a huge responsibility that comes with that sort of power. Um, it's so funny. Years ago, I was actually asked about that question. And I, f- I always said that the power that comes with social media is an illusion. Because a lot of people take it quite seriously. So they think that there is this real thing because I have so many followers. Therefore, I am really powerful. But it's actually quite, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fickle and it is not real. And that's how I've seen it. But I've also come to realize that um, some people take the things that I do say, you know, 
quite seriously and uh luckily not too many um <laughs> <laughs> but you know so i i i always find this a little weird um that because for me when i started i was just saying things i felt like saying and because i live in a democratic country that allows me to express my views mm-hmm. and that is really all i was doing this is how i'm feeling this is what i think about a certain thing and that that was all there was for me to it do you think you have a responsibility though um, you know, to actually maybe, you know, be more circumspect in what you put out there? I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I may uh, feel that maybe there is a point where I do have to consider that and think a little bit more. Um, uh, because it was very strange. I, I wrote a thing about towning, you know, and I wrote this, uh, this whole thing. It's in my first book, explaining what it is and what it comes from. And, uh, and I mean, I did not start it, uh, but it became really uh, a, a phrase that people used and started attaching it to me as the person who kind of came up with it. And, uh, and, and, and some thought that I was endorsing that behavior, you know, even though I hadn't. And it's, 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 it's a really strange thing. So do you take responsibility over certain things when you know that that is not what you're doing, but it's some... Is how someone else is interpreting the thing mm. that you're saying. So it's. I think for me, it's. it's so am I big, so big-headed that I will think that people need to take the things that I say seriously, that I have to guard the things that I have to say, or should I continue being the citizen that I think I am, an ordinary citizen who happens to have views uh, that other people listen to, not because they'll follow. For me, I think that's how I see it. I don't think people will follow the thing that I'm saying. I see it as people who are just... Um, they find the things that I say uh, that they resonate. So that's it, and nothing more. Mm. And and then cope. What happened with cope? Uh, that was very interesting and dark time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think what happened, I got so furious. I think and so emotional, and I realized that at the point now that in politics you really cannot be, uh, you cannot be persuaded by your emotions. I think I was really upset by the treatment of former President Beggy, how he, you know, he got kicked out. And I was like, oh, man, this is terrible. How can they make this happen? And, and you know, I was also like on that like anti-Zuma kind of uh, moment, you know, that everybody, a lot of people had at the time. And um, and then what I came to realize was that actually COPE is, if not, could possibly be worse. Uh, at some point, as like then I, I just I was quite neutral, and then I was like, actually, for me, the party that is right, that is doing what it should be doing for uh, our people, is the ANC. And I actually went through a period where I walked myself back, and I've come to realize that I cannot be a, I cannot base my decision on uh, who is leading the party, or how I feel about the people who are leading the party because the principles of a party do not change. Because if you look at the principles of the ANC, they are exactly uh, the same as they were however many years ago. Leaders have come and gone and they've changed. And maybe the the uh, formation or how the party behaved changed according to who was leading it at the, at the time. But the core values remain the same. Because even like all the parties that break away they're very similar. Their principles are very similar. So mm-hmm. why should I go to those guys when they really have nothing original? 
so for me that was um that that it was a, a long walk back and I, came, I had to come back with my tails between my legs yeah. and of course we, we will explore this further one day when we get Musiwa Lekota into studio and talk about this or you know some other people mm-hmm. but let's hear from Abdullah in Cape Town good morning Okay, Abdullah, that line is no good, unfortunately. And um, so we're going to have to uh, leave that one there. Uh, Kaya Litle Kumalo says, thanks for bringing Kaya Dlanga, a man who uses words beautifully. I mean, uh, he gets hundreds of retweets all the time. And then Stephen in Durban says, what a dynamic and interesting guest. Thank you. He really does show how with hard work, drive and determination the sky is the limit true meaning of the saying achieved in spite of not failed because of that's from Stephen in Durban and um, uh, Spiwen Daleka in KZN says what does friendship mean to you Kaya given that you know you were keeping people at arm's length when you were younger what does it mean to you now you know you know I think what I actually realized what that taught me was actually to identify genuine people very quickly like today and that's how i have a very small circle of friends and i and i I believe that i'm a very good judge of character as a result because i was so careful at the time you got to pick up who was actually being genuine for me friendship is someone who is absolutely genuine and is not judgmental towards your behavior or whatever happens to you so all the interest all their interest is in your character and the kind of person that you are and you'll become. That, for me, is what true friendship is, as opposed to, you know, we're just drinking buddies. There's more to it than that for me. And just a few uh, quick messages to uh, end this off. Um, I respect this guy. He reminds me of how I grew up in my rural area in Zimbabwe, Big up, Kaya. And uh, Risho Ketsue says, I absolutely love the book, Kaya. You really inspire me. Mfana Boy Msibi says, I'm getting the book. And, and, and it really is, um, you know, quite an interesting read. Pity we have limited time, so we can't go through all of it. But just, you know, um, by the way, where are you right now? People want to know, what do you do now? Oh, what do Today, I do now? 2015, where do you work? What, oh, what do you do, Kaya? Okay, I'll, I'll tell because people don't know what I do. So what I do is that I work for uh, Coca-Cola. And uh, what I do there is that I look after all the uh, strat- communication strategies and all the advertising across all the brands. So we have 26 brands, so I crawl us of, of those. That's what I do. And you still have time to go and do breakfast with Shaka Sisulu? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> no, no. But um, I guess uh, reading the book, one kind of understands how, you know, you got to have this work ethic that you do and perhaps how you're able to uh, still have time for the more pleasant things in life. But Kayat Langa, thank you so much for coming through this morning. No, thank you. I know that, like, you know, so many times I've been, I haven't been able to come through, but thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And of course, uh, his book, To Quote Myself, a memoir by uh, Kaya Dlanga, uh, you can actually get hold of that and you'll get, you know, the full story of this man, Kaya Dlanga, from uh, growing up in Dutini and um, how he ended up in Cape Town and how he got to where he is right now. And thank you so much for those of you who actually went on to uh, the live streaming and 
thanks saying that we look nice this morning. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a challenge because we do radio because we don't want to be seen. And now these two worlds are <laughs> colliding, colliding yes. converging. And how do we deal with this? Well, thank you so much to everyone, Kaya Langa, and of course to our listeners for participating fully as always, and to the production team for making sure it went out loud and clear, both production teams, that is. And of course, we back on Monday. Bright and early, 6 to 9 a.m. Have a fantastic weekend for Bakshni Chetty Miller standing by with news.